Meanwhile, at the What's On Joe Mind Debriefing Center and Gift Shop... Conventions are always more fun because you're focused on one thing. It's worse when you have many things to handle and there's no excuse for it not getting done. That's just adulthood, but you know. Well, you know, the conventions where you get together, everybody, and you get all fired up and you got people in your face screaming back at you about how great it's going to be and then when you get back to the office you, know, you have to actually start to do those things and so yeah it's a heck of a lot yeah exactly <laughs> well, yeah you, you get a high off it too because everyone's happy and it's escape from reality it's completely unsustainable mm-hmm. it's going to make a, a bunch of manic depressives out of us yet <laughs> solo in the host chairs today because my co-hosts don't do short notice very well. But we had the opportunity to get our good friend in just after the close of New York City Comic Con, Vice President of Marketing at Boom Studios, our good friend Arun Singh is back with us tonight. How are you, Arun? I'm doing great. Recovering after New York Comic Con, but I appreciate you giving me the call. Yo, Joe. (laughs) Do you really appreciate it? Was it just one of those... Well, I'll talk to him for 20 minutes, and then he'll go away. Kind of. Re- I think listeners of What's on Joe Mind have learned for uh, the many years I, I've been part of the team, I have no problem talking, and I always welcome the opportunity. <laughs> uh, it's no problem, my friend. It's no problem. I'm glad you were able to get somebody who was on the ground at the, at the big event to, to help fill our folks in as far as what went down. Now, the good news is we can get the G.I. Joe stuff out of the way in a hurry because there wasn't a whole lot there. We were talking a little bit just before we got started with the recording that that one Lady J statue was revealed. Yeah, it looks really cool. And that's made by? Koto Bukia. They had that, and they had a special sale. It wasn't a huge sale, but a sale on the Scarlet statue there and their Bishoujo line of statues. I know there's a, there's a Baroness one too, right? I feel like I've seen images of that floating around. I believe so. I think the Baroness one was probably a bit more sexualized than I'd want to put on my shelves, but uh, the Scarlet and Lady J one, especially Lady J, look really awesome. Yeah, they they tone down the cheesecake a little bit on those, and like it's one thing if you've got a character from, say, an anime that is made for adults, that is depicted that way, but it, it bothers me a little bit more when you've got a, a show that was intended for children to mm-hmm. have characters that are overly sexualized but the scarlet and the the lady j despite i mean they're they're curvy but they're not it's not crazy or anything it's just a very stylish yeah i i think things can be uh attractive and and uh aesthetically pleasing without you necessarily having a sexualization to them which i think is often the result of like you know the male gaze part of it Mm. it's kind of like putting supergirl in a skirt isn't necessarily overtly sexual except when you have like the wrong artist who's doing trying to do upskirt shots all the time it suddenly becomes gross but like the supergirl show has kind of managed to avoid that right in the way they've handled that and so i think it's a lot if it does become about context um with exceptions there are probably some costumes or poses which are inherently always gazy but these both of these statues look really cool back in the day i forget who made them but it was like back in the devil's due days of gi joe i have the like the little mini busts of scarlet and uh, snake eyes from back then and mm-hmm. 
you know, I've collected some of the hot toys of the G.I. Joe film characters. And so I'm always really excited about G.I. Joe merchandise. Like I found um, one of the booths at near Comic-Con was selling the uh, Arashikage symbol black New Era stretch fit hats. But none of them look right in my head, but they're just cool. And I get happy to see G.I. Joe stuff because, unfortunately, there's just so little of it around right now. Yeah, it, it's almost taken on this underground vibe. You know, a little bit of it trickles out and, and stuff that we used to ignore on our program just because there wasn't time to get to it. Now it's, a, you know, a major bullet point when we're doing the news and things like that. And it's just this little 7 $8 item that, that or a T-shirt that flooded out to Target. or It's a little depressing. Ho- hopefully we get that turned around a little bit next year with the, the Snake Eyes movie coming down the pike. You know, we we yeah. haven't uh, had the chance to talk to you too much about that. What are you, what are your general impressions? I am super excited about the film. I like the cast so far. I think um, I I've been joking with everyone that suddenly Snake Eyes is going to have his helmet off probably a lot <laughs> uh, since it's Henry Golding. You know, I personally don't have any issue with the race change. I'm not sure has that been a sensitive topic with GI Joe fans or GI Joe fans who feel like Snake Eyes needs to be a Caucasian military dude. I don't mean to say that dismissively i just don't know no i would say that it's like it always is it's about half and half i I think half of the fans don't really care and i think the other half care a whole lot yeah what what i would say is it's fine and i'll I'll keep it short without uh saying too much because i know everybody we don't want to get make this an overly social conscious podcast because we're here to have fun but uh I, i would say like being able to inject some further diversity into the world of G.I. Joe is a good thing. I think G.I. Joe has always been a trailblazer, but if you look at the lead characters, they've almost all been white. And I know you'll, you'll say, what about Roadblock? I know, but the Dukes, the Scarlets, the Lady Jays, the Flints, the Destros, the Cobra Commanders, the Baronesses, the Tomaxes, the Zamots, the Chuckles, everybody who's headlined a series, Snake Eyes, has been white. And I think especially when you're dealing with a character like Snake Eyes, who's so steeped in Japanese tradition and fighting form, making him, I'm presuming, a a Japanese-American character or an Asian-American character is really fascinating to me. I think sometimes, too, if you're not, like I always use this as my experience, like I may be of Indian descent, but if I go to India, I'm a foreigner there and and India is foreign to me. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you want to have a fish out of water story with Snake Eyes and you feel that's essential to the character, I don't think you lose that having him being an Asian American character. What my argument would be that everything you think Snake Eyes is character wise is not eliminated by making him an Asian-American character. People will say, well, what if we made Black Panther white? And I understand that reaction. So if we're going to use that comparison, Black Panther being white in context removes a lot of the character. He is the child of T'Chaka. He is part of a family legacy and very much supposed to be, if you, especially if you watch the movie, part of the ruling elite. And part of the point of the character is he is of those people and has opposed integrating with a larger world. That story fundamentally changes and the character fundamentally changes if he's mixed race or white or not Wakandan, which in the case of Black Panther is strictly, you know, mm-hmm. they're black. I also think if you look at what we better understand now as white savior tropes, having Snake Eyes be the world's best ninja and be a white guy from America is not something you can't do. I'm just saying it probably requires a bit more nuance and work than perhaps was done before. This is all to say, I know that Larry Hama, an Asian American guy, is the one who really pioneered these characters. I'm not accusing Larry or anybody else of being racially insensitive. What I'm saying is that in that in the modern world, I think G.I. Joe 
has always found success radically changing things. Like if we look at Hasbro bringing Marvel in to reinvent G.I. Joe, and as we all know, listeners all know, this is G.I. Joe and Cobra are S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA reinterpreted through the lens of the G.I. Joe canon. While part of me, and this is where everybody on the podcast will turn on me, would love to even see a G.I. Joe reboot that had none of the same characters, and we'll probably get to the comic talking about that. As the guy with the Rashikage tattoo who has a Snake Eyes sword replica from Rise of Cobra behind me on a buffet table in our family room as you enter the house, I love we're getting a Snake Eyes movie. I love the casting. The group of characters seems right. And I think Snake Eyes has Snake Eyes has one of the easiest origin stories, but I think the Snake Eyes Storm Shadow rivalry is fertile storytelling ground, and we saw that in Retaliation, but we also have seen that so much in the comics, and I think... Uh, it's funny, I was just watching an anime right now, uh, Gundam Iron Blood Orphans. Are you are you a Gundam fan or an anime guy? I am not a big Gundam guy, no. It's it, it's a little overwhelming. Yeah, I'll be honest, I just got into Gundam, and I can't tell the difference between this Gundam that has wings from Gundam Wing and this Gundam that has wings from, like, something else. And I'm like, they just look like the same thing to me. So I'm, it is overwhelming, and I'm dipping my toe in it, and I think I'm going to regret this in six months. But when you look at that series, when you look at a show like Supernatural, the brotherly, whether they be literal brothers or emotionally their brothers, I think having that at the core of a story gives that, you know, what's essentially a superhero movie, a very different feel than any superhero movie we've seen before. So, or not before, in recent times. You don't usually get characters brotherly like that. I mean, I guess you could say you had that in the Raimi Spider-Man movies. But it's a really interesting dynamic. Add in the Baroness, add in some of the other casting announcements, or rumors, I should say. And it seems like a really exciting film. I made a, a note when we talked about the casting of Henry Golding that it's ultimately extremely important that Snake Eyes is an American. I think yep. that's, that's what that, that cultural fish out of water is the most important aspect of his story in that regard. And Americans come in lots of different shapes and lots of different sizes and lots of different colors. So it really mm-hmm. does not matter past that. So long as he's a, an American citizen in some way, shape, or form, I'm good. Yeah, so for you, Mike, what do you think are the defining characteristics of Snake Eyes? Like, characters are elastic. You and I have talked about this before. What do you think are the things that make Snake Eyes Snake Eyes that you can't lose? Yeah, I mean, the mask. Yeah. The sword. And, you know, the the black garb, the hero in black trope. Snake Eyes does that one best out of anybody in, in contemporary pop culture. And him being mute, right, is also important for you? I'm going to guess? Or no? I got to see how it's portrayed. I okay. mean, I, I think so, but at the same time, I understand that that's a really unique problem for television or film where he's going to be the main guy. You know, you could turn back the clock to the old cartoon, the old Sunbow cartoons, and Snake Eyes was fine because Snake Eyes was a bit player. He was there, yeah. and, and he you know he kicked butt and all that stuff, and he was everybody understood. Heck, that guy's the best. But you also didn't have to focus on him all that much. He could show up, they could animate him kicking some tail for fifteen seconds, and then he would jump off into the shadows again, and and it was cool. Obviously, we can't do that in a movie called GI Joe Snake Eyes, or at least not the whole way through, because at some point, like I I don't figure that Snake Eyes is going to be Snake Eyes until the very end of this picture. It's an origin story, right? 
Yeah, it, I, I think that he could very well get a lot of insight into him in the first half, and then he could lose his voice. It reminds me of something that um, the way Jeff Loeb, the head of Marvel TV, described Iron Man. He's like, there's two ways to tell the Iron Man story. One's about this kick-ass guy in armor fighting evil in the world, and that's a fun movie. But there's another version uh, about a man named Tony Stark who metaphorically has no heart until he literally loses it, and then he develops the spirit of a hero as a result of that, right? I think there's a lot you could do with Snake Eyes, which is a guy, presumably, who who doesn't have direction, who doesn't have purpose, who doesn't have a voice in the world, right? And it isn't until he loses that literal voice that he figuratively finds it and becomes Snake Eyes. I actually think there is something interesting. You know, we don't see a lot of heroes with, um, I don't know what the right word is, handicaps, disabilities, this kind of scarring or of uh, medical condition, right? And I think there is actually really interesting if you have a hero whose story is told through those kind of visual cues, especially someone who can emote like Henry Golding. Again, the mask is going to have to come off a lot in that case. Yeah. But I actually think the challenge of the storytelling could be really fascinating. So I'm look, I'm excited. I remember talking uh, John Chu with you guys, talking to John. Um, I still keep up with him thanks to uh, that time on, on the show. And I think he did a lot with Snake Eyes saying very little in retaliation, and that was because you put characters around him mm-hmm. who had reasons to explain things to you. And I think there's an elegant way to do that with other characters around him that could produce a really compelling and unique character. Because if he can't give those speeches and soliloquies, it forces the movie to find other ways to tell those stories. Yes. Yeah. So no, I'm I'm excited, man. It's uh, and going back to going back to your original point about New York Comic Con. Uh, like we said, dear listeners, I could talk. New York Comic Con was at one heck of a fun show. Always wish there was more G.I. Joe stuff there. But I do feel like for those of us who have, uh, I hate to use terms like hardcore, big, because like if you're a fan, you're a fan. I don't really care to put us on a, in a hierarchy. But for any G.I. Joe fan, it is kind of fun because whenever you see G.I. Joe stuff, someone else sees it and you both geek out. There's like an instant bond. I, I, it's kind of like being a hockey fan in this country. There's mm-hmm. not enough of us. So whenever you meet someone else who enjoys hockey, immediately we have some, some a real deep passion because in America, you don't get to be a hockey fan casually. You're a hockey fan or you're not. You don't just happen to find it on NBC. You make a point to watch it. Yeah. I think with G.I. Joe these days, you have to make a point to seek it out. And when you do, I think there's something really beautiful that bonds you in this fandom. You know, you bring up hockey, and I'm going to I'm gonna go on a tangent this time. <laughs> Uh-oh. Being in St. Louis, right? Uh, congrats, yeah. Now, mind you, I mean, I grew up in New York, right? I, I grew up an Islanders fan at the peak of their powers. You know, they went. They won four cups in a row in the early 80s. I was a small child for that. So my heart will always be the New York Islanders. But at the same time, like, I, I wasn't in the city. I was a dumb little kid in my dumb little town on Long Island. Yeah. So I, I didn't get a feel for what happens in a society that has a Stanley Cup. And this past summer in St. Louis has really been my first experience with that. You can't swing the proverbial dead cat in this town without hitting somebody in a blue shirt. And that says an awful lot in a town that is typically wearing red shirts. Yeah. I I mean, the Cardinals are in the playoffs right now. Last I saw, they were were recording this on October 9, and uh, they scored 10 runs in the first inning of Game 5 of their series today. So they're moving on to the League Championship Series. And 
nobody cares because hockey yeah. season started this yeah. week. Yeah, and and I think the the credit to the Blues organization, uh, everything it did with I forget the name of that girl who's like the super fan, Layla. and like her yeah her names on the rings and the way they presented the ring to her like if I was just becoming a hockey fan right now the the Blues organization is conducting itself with a ton of class and a ton of heart in a way that you don't normally see from sports teams. It's great to see hockey get spotlighted for that and not because of some other controversy. Yeah, this town and that team have a very long and oftentimes torturous relationship because the Blues, they won the Cup for the first time in their 52-year history this past season. And the problem was never that the Blues were bad for an extended period of time. I believe they still hold the record for most consecutive seasons making the playoffs. And there were years in there where they had the best record in the league, and there's years in there where they had the one seed, and there's other years in that where they got hot at the right time and they had the hot goaltender, and all of them came up empty. It is just heartbreaking loss after heartbreaking loss. And so the people that have bonded to that team, they couldn't quit the St. Louis Blues if they tried. It's not possible. They cannot separate themselves from that organization. So it, it is really great for that organization to recognize that. I mean, there have been a couple of ownership changes in, in the team's history, too, where they thought the St. Louis Blues were going to leave. They, they really didn't think mm-hmm. that hockey was going to last in this town, and it somehow it did. Somehow they, they came back, and, and people were showing up and, and supporting the team, and the community got behind them, and there was really just no way the league could move the, the St. Louis Blues out of here. So to see the, the team paying off the community – after the most successful one in franchise history, everybody ought to take notes. Every sports team should, be, and not just hockey team, every sports team should be taking notes of how the Blues are, are putting that back to the community. When I look at hockey, I look at the things I love. I know there's some people who never want their favorite indie band to go big. I'll tell you, for me, I want to see kids of all ages, people of all ages, dressed as Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow and Baroness and cobra commander and duke and scarlet and i want people of all backgrounds of all ages my parents know who Groot and rocket raccoon are that that's crazy that's i up. want people wearing hawaiian shirts and being chuckles for halloween and it not being this niche thing but we all recognize look there's enough of us nerds with like myself with your ashikage tattoos but like i want more people with them i want to see this stuff become so popular that we're almost sick of like you know how like when a star wars movie comes out you go to target and there's bags of oranges with a bb8 logo on them for some reason and you're just like okay what does this have to do with star wars i guess star wars sells things i want that with gi joe like i want it to be that big i want the i want the pegs full at target of gi joe things i want gi joe to be so popular that i have to get to target early because otherwise that those figures are flying off the pegs not because they have so little but because you can't keep up with demand like i want competition for that stuff i don't want to just be able to pre-order it and I know some fans probably like, no, I want to get everything. But let me tell you, as we've seen with Transformers, and you and I and the old crew had debated this number of times, whatever we may or may not think about the Michael Bay Transformers franchise, it has allowed Transformers to become a cultural touchstone that has more action figures on the peg, more opportunities with the comics, more licensing, more everything. And everyone knows who Optimus Prime and Megatron are. And they know who Bumblebee is. And I want that for G.I. Joe. And Joe is even lucky, I think, in that we got a little bit of a head start. 
Mm-hmm. You know, b- back in the 80s, G.I. Joe got to that point. And I know some of our listeners weren't necessarily alive back then. But we had a solid decade. And, and this is just when G.I. Joe was only appealing to, to kids, really. There was a little bit of, you know, the, the adults who collected back in the 60s, yeah, they were kind of in, but it was a different G.I. Joe. So they, they connected to the name, the, the brand name, and that's about it. But uh, yeah. it was a, just a constant stream of, of Grunt and Duke and Snake Eyes and Cobra Commander and Destro and the Baroness and, and all these these images. They were just, it was toys and it was party favors and it was wall art and it was napkins and Dixie cups and it was everywhere. And it would really be neat to get even a part of that back again. I always said that the, the thing I didn't want for... Joe Con was to be the youngest guy there every year. You know, yeah. I, I wanted this to be you know, something that I've enjoyed pretty much my entire life. I, I want the next generation to be able to, to say the same thing. It's a, it's a great franchise and a great story, and there's room for everybody in it, and it just hasn't really worked out that way. This is their chance to get this franchise back on the horse. I agree, and I think that's why, look, some people, I imagine um, some sections of fandom are sick of the ninjas. Let me tell you this. The ninjas are part of the reason J.I. Joe stuck around so long. It would be like being sick of Optimus Prime. This is just what it is, dude. <laughs> I use dude in a gender-neutral way. A Snake Eyes movie allows us to get our Chuckles movie. A successful Snake Eyes movie allows us to get our Tomax and Zamot HBO show that we want, right? Like, that's what's going to unlock everything else for us. Plus, plus Snake Eyes is effing awesome. So I'm not more, I'm happy about this. I'm beyond thrilled about it. I think about this with wrestling a lot too. Pro wrestling has been part of like a special club for like the last 15 years or so, right after the Attitude Era of the 90s with WCW and WWE competing. Um, it hasn't been as mainstream in the last few years that has become huge with Fox paying billions of dollars to have smackdowns on Friday nights now. And I couldn't be happier. There is more wrestling than ever to watch and I cannot watch it all. And I don't mind. Are you, I forget, are you a big wrestling guy, Mike? Is this your thing or I'm going to, am I speaking a foreign language? No, right you're, now? you're good. I am a graps kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> so full biases, I, you know, being the VP of marketing at Boom Studios, we have uh, WWE Comics. We have a license with them. I write WWE Comics. You'll probably think I'm a corporate shill, but SmackDown and Raw aren't necessarily what I'm going to watch every week. But I have NXT, and that makes me thrilled. But I don't sit here angry that SmackDown and Raw aren't NXT. I sit here thrilled that I have two hours of NXT and that everybody who loves Raw has three hours of that. Everyone who loves SmackDown has two hours of that. And then you also have AEW on Wednesday nights, which is awesome. Competition's great. You have Impact Wrestling, ROH. I can never watch it all, but I'm fine with that because I can watch it when I want. And I think about this with G.I. Joe. You're always going to have a Snake Eyes franchise driving G.I. Joe, but that's also going to allow us whatever the NXT version is, right? Like our Tiger Force movie that we get one day. And we're going to, don't get me wrong, what, what was the name of the ninja group? Remember when uh, Storm Shadow became a good guy and they re-released the figures, but oh, like just, good guy versions? and Just Ninja Force. Ninja Force. There will be a Ninja Force movie at some point, too. <laughs> and you know what? If, if it's not your thing, just sit it out. For some people, the the worst thing that could happen is, is G.I. Joe becoming the next Marvel Cinematic Universe and you feel like you have to watch the movie. I, I don't know, Mike. I'm sitting here thinking that would be awesome. 
You're telling me there's four hours of G.I. Joe a year I have to watch? Oh, no, quel dommage. I have to watch it. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm using French now. I would love to have G.I. Joe movies coming out like that. Because, look, I guess maybe I'm just easy because I love a lot about Retaliation, especially that director's cut. And I can still watch Rise of Cobra and find some fun in it. So, I don't know. Just give me more G.I. Joe. Yeah, I've maintained for a long time that if if this is just too much change for you, well, I don't know what to tell you because, again, the only constant is change. But well, yeah, think about this. If you're complaining about change now because think it has to stay a G.I. Joe like Snake Eyes and Duke. Like, I am no G.I. Joe historian, as is plainly obvious. But there might have been a whole bunch of Kung Fu Grip fans who were really pissed off when G.I. Joe came back in the way it did with Snake Eyes, with Duke, and with those characters. And all your favorites are a reinvention of what someone else may not have loved or really did love. And, like, here's the thing. Nothing erases the stories we've got. We've had Larry Hama telling G.I. Joe stories for, what, 30 years? Yeah. Um, 30-plus years? Nothing erases that. Real American Hero isn't going anywhere. The cartoon is still available. Welcome to being a hot property. There's going to be a billion versions of it, but this is what it takes. I think as G.I. Joe fans, we're not accustomed to having this kind of spotlight. And now we've had this thing that's been so strictly real American hero and the other thing. And we've dabbled with other media adaptations, whether it be that Warren Ellis animated film or these movies. But this is, and I say this having no inside information, this is Hasbro clearly going all in on this film franchise. So we should be happy and then we should be ready for things to not be exactly the way we think they could or should be. Just be happy that there's a new version because the worst thing, like if what happens is we don't like this new version, but everybody else does. Oh, well, we're going to have those G.I. Joe versions we do love. will get resuscitated because people will see money in the franchise. Yep. We're going to win all, no matter what. Anyway, that's my soapbox. No, absolutely. A big G.I. Joe Snake Eyes movie run means that I'll throw out some things that I've seen various segments of our fandom clamor for. Uh, the mm -hmm. return, the 12-inch figures are on the table. Haven't, ha hasn't been 12-inch G.I. Joes for a long time now. Uh, they have their fans, but eh, they're not viable on a mass scale, so they haven't been out there for a while. Everybody's clamoring for a 6-inch Marvel Legends style G.I. Joe. Not happening unless this movie's a big deal. Not happening. Mm -hmm. Not happening. A restart of four inch line with Jeeps and tanks and helicopters. Not happening without this movie. And uh, we said this, uh, discussing this with, with a couple of old Hasbro guys, that perhaps even better than Snake Eyes being good, Snake Eyes needs to be popular. Good, yeah, good as second. That's absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think again, the GI Joe movies and you and me and Chuck and everybody else. We talked about this, you know, ad nauseum. But the Transformers movies are not my Transformers. Optimus Prime executing his brother Megatron in that third one or fourth one, whichever one it was, <laughs> is not Optimus Prime to me. No. However, you know what? It doesn't actually matter. And what matters is that people love those films, and because of it. I get all my reissues of G.I. Joe on, you know, DVD or Blu-ray. I get the new re-releases of old action figures. I get this amazing trading card game right now from Wizards of the Coast, which, oh man, 
I wish there was a G.I. Joe trading card game. I used to play that mobile card game, the G.I. Joe one, hardcore. Yep. I spent way too much money on it. But let me tell you, uh, that is how we get G.I. Joe and Hot Topic everywhere, not just as a single retro shirt, but as a current property. That's how we get it in Box Lunch. That's how we get it, more importantly, in Target. I have complicated feelings about Walmart, but I understand everyone's got to do what they got to do. This is how we get these things. So I'm not calling a new G.I. Joe film we don't like a necessary evil because that's like a jerk thing to say. Mm. I don't consider the Transformers movies a necessary evil. They're like, come on, man. These, I, I've rewatched them again. I don't like them, but like, I think the second one borders on being racist at times. But they were, generally speaking, inoffensive FX spectaculars that yep. I could just not watch and move on with my life. Yep. Like, I, it's not worth being mad over. I am never going to see Joker. I have no interest in that movie. And I don't talk about this ever, anywhere except for now because what I'm, I'm just crapping on what someone else likes and I have no end game, right? They have nothing intellectual to offer because I'm not engaging with the source material or I'm mm. not engaging with the, the material itself. So I just let people argue about Joker. You move on with your life. I'll move on with mine. You know, it's like the people who hate Fast and Furious. I think you and I have talked about this. I worship at the altar of Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> I love them. They're essentially mask movies at this point to me. And I took two days off work for Hobbs and Shaw this year. I have two days already blocked off in the calendar for <laughs> Furious 9 next year and two days blocked off in 2021 for John Wick 4. This wow. is who I am. And my wife somehow still loves me. So I'm going to see Snake Eyes at least three times opening weekend. I know that. I'm going to go once first to just get through it, second time to like sit back and enjoy it, and the third time to really dig into how I feel. That will probably be over at least two days, maybe three. But as a guy who saw John Wick 2 twice in one day because I liked it so much in the theater, I'll do this, of course. <laughs> and if I don't like it, you know what I'm going to do? Move on with my life. Yeah. Anybody who doubts your fanboy lines clearly hasn't listened to the show for very long. <laughs> <laughs> no, I say that. And again, it's not about me being a bigger fanboy than anybody else. That's just what it. Oh no, no, I'm, just, I'm not saying you're not. You're you not know. in a race, man. It's just, it's just how yeah. your heart. It's how your heart beats. Yeah, that's my perspective on it. But you know, it's kind of like some wrestling fans are so mad everything's going mainstream. Well, like we've said, we still got NXT. We still have AEW. You and me are taken care of. What we need is more people who are not us to be wrestling fans. Yep ironic last week i'm gonna go on a, a quick divergence with all of the the super produced programming that we saw from the major wrestling companies uh, you know we had a a raw we had an aew show we had a, a smackdown the first smackdown on on fox then we had hell in a cell the best wrestling product last week was nxt the one that nobody watched and i know we're gonna talk a bit more wrestling for a very self-interested uh, reason shortly but um I, I will tell you that Undisputed Era, they wouldn't work anywhere but NXT right now because NXT has storytelling that suits them. So, cool. I'm good, you know? I could sit here and be mad like, oh, I wish this ref I wish Samoa Joe was champion. He's a friend of mine, but also I think he's amazing. I'm not yeah. going to sit here, sit here and be mad about it. I'm going to enjoy that Becky Lynch is the man and we get that now. I'm going to enjoy the Kabuki Warriors tag team champions. I'll just enjoy what I enjoy. I just don't have... Um, I'm 38 tomorrow. Oh, um, happy birthday. So by the, yeah, so by the time you listen to this, it is my birthday. I feel too old to be angry about this stuff, man. You live in a time where you can be 38 years old and still enjoy the same shit that you did when you were a kid. How awesome is that? M Mike, uh, I'm 38-year-old, and I've employed 
by a comic company working in comics, heading up marketing, writing comics, married to an amazing woman who loves me, who is a bigger comic geek than me and loves <laughs> us geeking out on stuff. What, what am I going to complain about? Like, how can I get mad? You know what happens if I get mad? I'm like, hey, this thing sucks. I'll just walk out of the theater if GI sucks. Like, I have no problem doing that. And I won't be angry. I'll just eat a hot dog and get over it. I have lost far more than $12 making far worse decisions. Yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> I live in a world, I, I don't know if you're a fan of all the DC shows, but that Crisis on Infinite Earths, I could see Brandon Routh as Superman again, next to Tom Welling as Superman again, next to whatever that dude's name is, who's a really awesome Superman right now, Supergirl, mm-hmm. next to Flash, next to uh, Wesley, Sh- or whatever his name is, the, the OG Flash from the 90s, yeah. next to like the Huntress from Birds of Prey, next to the my favorite lo- Lois Lane of all time from Smallville. Like, what am I complaining about here? I get all this stuff. When, I, when you and I were kids, we were kids, our Nick Fury with David Hasselhoff. Our X-Men <laughs> was Mutant X and a Generation X TV movie. I'm good. Right. I'm not saying we shouldn't be critical. I'm just saying, like, I don't need to go crap on it uh, on, on Twitter. Let, let me change that real quick for you, though. Our X-Men were animated and they were on Saturday morning. <laughs> That's true. Speaking of that lawsuit that came out today. Uh, yes, that was our X-Men. It was great. And, like... It's really interesting what fights people pick. Uh, I swear you had a question, and then I, I took us off track, so nothing's changed. No, no, I don't remember what it is either, for, for that matter. Well, we were talking about New York Comic Con, and yes. um, I know part of the reason you wanted me here was to chat about New York Comic Con. I'm not sure if you had some <laughs> specific questions about the show. No, really, it's it's more of a you were there, and we're just we're just trying to sponge the experience off you, man. Yeah, I got to tell you, uh, New York Comic Con was beyond packed. So I was working at the Boom Studios booth a lot. If you uh, follow me on social at Arun A R U N E on Twitter or at Arun Singh on Instagram A R U N E S I N G H, I was trying to do some photo dumps each day of me and friends I'd seen there. I used to always take photos of like people in cosplay or cool things that's on. I realized I actually wanted to just take photos of me and friends because that's the stuff I remember the most. And so I did a lot of that. I can't comment on how much G.I. Joe cosplay I did or didn't see there because I was at the Boom Studios booth so long. So we're not naturally going to attract as many G.I. Joe people. Mm. Our friends at IDW had some really cool G.I. Joe exclusive uh, variant cover sets that were a little bit more than I could afford, but were actually quite fairly priced, all things considered. G.I. Joe had good representation there. Every so often I saw booths that had G.I. Joe merch at it, but I don't remember seeing anyone who was like a hardcore, like heavily G.I. Joe vendor, like Funko Pops are the are the big collectible right now. So mm-hmm. those are everywhere. And G.I. Joe has a smaller presence on the Funko side. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see a lot of Joe around. I, I was mentioning Gundam because Gundam felt like it was everywhere this year. Maybe not any more so than previously, but I felt like I couldn't escape Gundam between the Bondi booth, the Bluefin booth, Chevrolet had a activation with a giant, I guess, scales, not full size scale, but pretty gigantic Gundam uh, Barbatos uh, version of it. It's from the Iron Blood Orphans limited series. It was there. You could take your photo with it. So it felt like Gundam was everywhere. Marvel was omnipresent and, and as usual. And I'm always happy to see my friends there having such success. And I saw a few G.I. Joe things here and there, but other than Kotobukiya, it was really... Uh, I would say that Marvel and Gundam were the, the and Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball was the other thing. I think kids who grew up with Dragon Ball are now have now have a lot of disposable income, 
and they're using it on Dragon Ball, let me tell you. They're absolutely using it there. So uh, Sailor Moon also had a pretty decent presence. So those seem like the biggest brands that were at the show. So you bring up Gundam and how yeah. you're just kind of getting in on these things. On Twitter, you shared the beginnings of a story about your experience in Gundam that involved initials, the HG specifically, the initials. Yeah. HG. Oh, boy, yes. So why, why don't you go take a minute or, or three and fill everybody in on how you got taken by seasoned Gundam veterans. Jamie McKelvey, who's an artist you might know from Marvel series like Young Avengers or an image series like The Wicked and Divine, is a big Gunpla fan, and Gunpla is a Gundam, it's an acronym for, like, I think, Gundam and Plastic Toys, so Gunpla, G-U-N-P-L-A. And so it's an, and so I've been, um, I had re- recently rewatched all of Gundam Wing, and it's like, I just love giant robots, and I unabashedly love giant robots, and I've been doing a lot in my life recently rediscovering things I used to love. It actually started with G.I. Joe with you guys, and just embracing stuff I loved and realizing that growing up didn't mean I had to um, relinquish things I loved as a kid. It just meant that my affection and fandom might just take a different form. So, like, I'm back into Star Trek again. Gundam I'm into again. And I was never hardcore, but I'm, I knew enough. And so I was tweeting about this and Jamie, and I was trying to figure out, like, what do I start building? And HG sets were like, I'm like, what does HG stand for? He was talking to these acronyms. And Greg Pak, writer of World War Hulk, Planet Hulk, things that were the basis for the Thor Ragnarok movie, one of the most accomplished writers in comics, tells me it means hamster grade. And I thought he was serious. And so I actually, at the local hobby shops, asked for hamster grade models like a few months ago. And they looked at me and I'm like, and I realized what has happened. And so I, you know, I tweeted at Greg, who's a dear friend. I was like, how dare you? The pr- here's the problem. I feel like the Manchurian hamster grade candidate because at this damn show, I kept calling it hamster grade when I was in the store. Even at the Bondi store, I was like, hey, do you have any hamster? I mean, high grade. And they looked at me. I'm like, I'm sorry. Someone told me HG meant hamster grade is stuck in my head. And explaining it just made me say it again, like this tick. And so I completely embarrassed myself, not embarrassed, you know, like it's, I don't really care, but I kept saying, and I can't get hamster grade out of my head. And so I took to Twitter to playfully uh, bug Greg about it, but also blame him and Jamie, because I am now that I have five model kits, I am definitely going to start building them soon. The guy at Bondi told me, all you need to build Gundams is a bit of patience. And I said, unfortunately, that is one of the things I truly lack completely in life. So I expect a lot of anger <laughs> when I mess up these sets. However, we shall see how it all turns out. Jamie had actually explained this uh, online, and I, and I loved it. He said he's an artist, and he's like, he wanted a hobby that he could not possibly monetize at all, and that he had to do for himself. There's no money in building Gundam kits. And I actually need a hobby like that, because the problem for me is I'm a big CrossFit guy. We've talked about this fitness guy. There's no money in it necessarily, but it's I need to do it for my health and my vanity, but my health. Writing is something I do for money. You know, it's it's both my day job and also something I do on my side hustle. I need something that has no possible monetary benefit for me. Mm. And this is exactly it. And I could play video games and all, but I actually want to get away from screens. The more digital our lives get, the more I'm really interested in analog enjoyment so i think it's why board games are such a big deal now right tabletop gaming because we all want to just see each other 
I'm not saying I suddenly need to start using a Walkman again, but I, I did buy a record player and I actually kind of like having records because it forces me to, to live with the music a bit because I have to flip the record over. At the same time, I also just stream iTunes through my Apple TV, through my television, and I'm fine with that too. Mm. So out of the models you picked up, how many of them are hamster grade? Uh, all of them are. I actually bought an Optimus Prime model from, uh, I forget what the name of the booth was, this license. And I asked the guy, I'm like, I've never built one. And he actually joked, he goes, if you try building it in your hotel room today and you can't do it, you can bring it back and I'll give you a new one. And he laughed <laughs> with the laugh that told me, you are generally a good dude who's going to help me, but I'm going to have to eat a little bit of crap if I come back to you and show you how I couldn't build it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah, no, it's, uh, again, I am not the guy with steady hands. I'm not the guy with patience. So uh, this will be a real fascinating thing for me to try. I know the feeling on that one. That's really a big part of why I never got into them either. One of my very good friends, uh, lifelong friend, was super into Gundam when they came out. And it's been kind of a residual thing in the years since. Like, he'll still go out every once in a while. He'll see one of the toys or one of the models. He'll pick that up. and But... Part of it really was that I was afraid of connecting to model kits because I can't do models. Yeah, and I used to build model cars as a kid. I used to love building Lambos, especially Lamborghini Countach's. So that was like my thing. Again, it's recapturing that stuff. And the worst case is, I mean, these models, the, the, the hamster grade ones are, they're like under 30 bucks each, under 20 bucks in some cases too. So like, mm -hmm. I'm not saying 100 bucks is nothing. I'm just saying my wife and I, Michelle, we're going to have so much fun trying to do this together that I'm going to try building one. If I totally fail, I'll probably just sell the other ones to some friends. Or if I know a friend or someone who has a kid who might want to do this, I'll just give it to them for their kid to build, right? Like, I know how bougie all that sounds, but, like, I also knew what I was getting into, right? So I'm not going to stress over it. I should actually say, I thought I had five. Actually, I have three. I have an Optimus Prime. I have the Gundam RX-78, which is, like, the original Gundam, right? Mm -hmm. The super basic one. And then I have one called Heavy Arms that's from Gundam Wing, and it's, it's this one that fires a bunch of missiles, and it's ridiculous. I don't know. You're, I, I correct myself. Four. I also bought a Neon Genesis Evangelion one as well, Unit One. That is where I stopped myself because I know if I if I like doing this, I want to get better, so I can build one of those giant ones. Like um, that's where I'll get like uh, if you Google Unicorn Gundam. It's this crazy, intricate-looking mech. That's the kind of thing I really want to build. So I'll try a few of these small ones. If I can do it, awesome. If I can't, that's fine. And I'll just buy action figures. Oh, no. You know, again, what a tough life. <laughs> that $100 that you sunk into it is what we like to call acceptable risk. It's funny. Like, I'm not a big foodie. My wife is. So, like, I enjoy that with her. But I don't go gambling. I don't go on vacations. I don't buy a lot of clothes, relatively speaking. I mostly buy clothes for work or mm -hmm. for the gym. So I'm not going to say I live some like Spartan Zen life, but I am going to say if I was going out and partying with friends a lot more, I'd be spending that more money and given my work life schedule, I, I'm not that free, as you know, from you and me trying to even schedule this call. Mm. So a Gundam that I can work on for 10 minutes a week just to build a different shoulder or arm or whatever. That's a worthwhile investment to be able to get enough out of it. A little bit of that Zen rock garden feel to it. I'm not going to sit here and like trim bonsai trees or whatever they were. I'm thinking of Mr. Miyagi and Karate Kid, but 
yeah, I kind of just want to have something that's like, I, I, look, I'm a, I'm a gun enthusiast. So um, when I lived in Salt Lake City, I had, a, you know, I owned some firearms there and I used to love just taking them apart and cleaning them and then panicking that I forgot how I put, to put them back together properly. <laughs> but, uh, and thank God for YouTube. It's like, wait, wait, when do I put the spring in? But like, I enjoyed cleaning them. I enjoy the act of polishing my boots. I enjoy the act of cleaning my running shoes and my gym shoes. I, I enjoy all that stuff. I enjoy cleaning my, my townhouse. Admittedly, my wife does most of it because my schedule is crazy and it ends up falling on her and I wish it didn't. But like, I enjoy that stuff. So I don't know. I'm just built weird. There is a certain simple satisfaction in completing menial tasks. You at least can see where you've been. Yeah, exactly. You know, especially something like a Gundam, you get to see the end result of the work right away. And that's kind of nice. It's kind of like cooking. You get to see your end result right away. You're not waiting for someone else to appreciate it or validate it or like you can see it right away. And that's always nice. So you said you were at the booth a whole lot. What can we expect coming forward from your fine folks at Boom Studios? Oh, wow. It's such a broad question, I think. I know, right? uh, you know, one of the things that's important for us at Boom is uh, we make comics for every audience. So whatever your identity, your background, your age, we got something for you. So we just released R.L. Stein's first original graphic novel, Just Beyond, as part of a multi-book deal we have with them. So if you're a fan of Goosebumps or Fear Street or you have kids who are or friends who are, that book's perfect for you. I think for fans of this uh, G.I. Joe, if you're a fan of Buffy or you're a fan of Power Rangers we're doing crazy cool stuff with both those franchises in comic form. Our Buffy and Angel stuff is a complete reimagining of those series, so it's perfect for old and new fans. We're continuing on Firefly in comics, so that's all in continuity with the show and the film. Our Power Rangers comics are also in continuity with the TV shows, but revealing things you just never knew before, it's all in canon, and I think those have been a huge success for us. But I think where I'm most excited is our creating around like, you know, original projects. We have a couple of series that are I'm really excited about. One of them is called Once in the Future. It's written by Kieran Gillen and with artist Dan Mora and a, an awesome team on it. It's set in England, and it's about a faction who's trying to unearth some Arthurian artifacts to, to restore England to what they believe is its former glory. And an old grandma monster hunter named Bridget, who has long since retired from monster hunting, is called back into service, and her slightly dorky grandson Duncan who's like a college professor has to learn the, the family business that he never knew about and it's Bridget it's like this honorary old lady basically the coolest badass monster hunter you can imagine it's a really awesome series the other one is called Something is Killing the Children which I know is a mouthful <laughs> of a title by writer James Tyne in the Forest and artist Werther Deldra Aldera, I believe is how you say the name it's about a, a small town where a kid witnesses what he's where only children can see these monsters that are um, presumed that are killing them. And a girl named Erica Slaughter shows up and she is someone who hunts monsters. And the only one who believes this kid together, they're going to hunt down the monsters that are terrorizing this town. And it's a really claustrophobic, intimate, uh, emotional, like horror story. And it's not a slasher story, at least not yet, but it's not a typical monster story. It's, it's a lot about who we are and the way we see the world and the monsters that we see and how we fight back against those monsters. They're both really great series that have been giant hits for us. So those are two of the books that I think folks will really, really, really groove on if you're uh, for the audience, the G.I. Joe audience we're talking to. I mean, really, if you showed me a title, Something is Killing the Children, I would just think it was Lunchables. <laughs> right. Yeah, or Twinkies. 
I would never admit so, to that though, yeah. because I do love Twinkies, but <laughs> they are delicious. Those are the big books we have coming up. It's a really interesting time in comics. There's a report that you know the greatest growth in readership right now are outside the uh, world of superheroes, which I think is good. I, I never would want Marvel and DC to be less successful. But I think expanding comics and for people to be treating comics as a medium versus just a genre is a good thing. Like last week, the top-selling book in America was Guts, a graphic novel by Raina Telgemeier, who is an incredibly successful author. I mean, whenever one of her new books comes out, Scholastic prints millions of copies in the first printing. So I think what we even think of as comics and graphic novels is being redefined outside the superhero and genre space and it's also comics that are for kids are not being dismissed as oh that's kid stuff they're seen as a viable form of art much like we look at something like harry potter and say that's art even if it's aimed for a younger audience so the comics industry is changing a lot and i'm excited and i'm excited that gi joe is still part of the industry too not just real american hero but also uh that new idw launch yeah i think society has forced us to create more sophisticated entertainment for our kids yeah you know you, you can't smoke screen them like you did when we were kids you know we were yeah we we were admittedly dumb little kids and it was a different time and, and it just it works out that way but i also think that that's why your gi joes and your transformers and your my little ponies have better legs than some of the stuff that came right after that uh you get mm -hmm. into the 90s and uh, a lot of what was popular really got kind of just dumb and loud and kind of trashy. Like nobody's really clamoring for the Street Sharks relaunch, and there's a reason. I, for so that. I, I was gonna say Biker Mice from Mars. I love that we were just a few degrees away from each other. Yeah. <laughs> and and again, if you're a fan of one of those, it, that's great. But yeah, they just were. They were. They they didn't. They lacked depth compared to some Look, of the stuff that that came a little bit before. And it's nice that we're getting back to that some. Yeah, I'm still excited when I when I think about the Double Dragon Battletoads crossovers, right? In video <laughs> games, like I I love that stuff, and I think it's like it's okay for something to be more simple than something else. Like I, as a kid, I think Robotech was the first kid show I saw that I realized, holy crap, there's a lot going on here, and this is not just like episodic television. This is like a giant sprawling mythos. As I got older, I actually uh, have appreciated Robotech more for what it was in splicing three series together. But, you know, that was the show that, that I think showed a lot of kids like myself how you could do big mythology. And kids now have had Avatar, and they've had Adventure Time, and they've had Steven Universe, and all this stuff that has big mythology and big grand character work. And that can still live alongside episodic storytelling, and I think that's... The variety of things is what's great. But look, a She-Ra cartoon now is fundamentally different than a She-Ra cartoon in the 80s. It doesn't make one better than the other. It just means that we have more variety in our storytelling now, which ultimately is a good thing for us all. Speaking of storytelling, you have mm -hmm. another one. Your second foray into the world of comic writing is going to hit us soon. And why don't you talk some about that? On October 30th in book in comic shops, and I believe November 5th in bookstores, you'll be able to purchase WWE, then now Forever Volume 4, which is a collection of a bunch of different WWE specials, including my 
special, WWE Then Now Forever, which came out in January and featured a story I read about IRS, Ted DiBiase. They, I'm lucky enough in this collection to also have a new original story uh, about a, a wrestler called Jinder Mahal. He's an Indian-Canadian wrestler. So it was a really special story for me to write, and I'm really thankful that my editor, Chris Rosa, uh, provided me with the opportunity to tell the story. It's set right before WrestleMania 34 when Jinder won the United States Championship. If you don't know, Jinder is like one of those ba- heel bad guy character, right? And so he's, I know you know, I'm just explaining for the audience. Sure. And he uh, often talks about my people and he's in a lot of ways the typical foreigner character. And Jinder himself has an interesting, uh, the, the person who plays Jinder, I should say, has an interesting backstory. He was fired from WWE and then got, uh, he buys on mission fat, lazy, and then came back as one of the most ripped and shredded wrestlers in WWE. And a much better wrestler, too, he would even say, and became WWE champion and was booed by a lot of fans, which is actually a good thing because you don't have a lot of bad guys who get booed. Fans these days, like the cool bad guy, he was not a cool bad guy. He was just a bad guy. The point is, I wanted to write a story where, you know, no villain thinks they're the villain of the story. They always think they're the hero of their story. So it was a story about him trying to make the WWE locker room like him. And the point of the story is that he's kind of a jerk. And so he goes about it in a way and with a result where you see that for all his efforts to be a better guy, he has a long way to go. It's a story about what it feels like to be an outsider and how sometimes we react when we're not accepted. And I'm really proud of it. It's a 10-page story. If you're a hardcore WWE fan, there are some Easter eggs in it. Like if you were a fan of... uh, uh, Oh, I forget what the name was of the tag team between Jinder and Alicia Fox. Not Fox or Raja, but there was some name for them and uh, uh, in the mixed match tag team challenge. Yeah, I can't think of it. But anyway, you'll see an Easter egg there if you're a fan of that. That kind of tells you. Um, that shows, uh, you know, I'm a big fan. There's some other nods in there as well I think fans will, will enjoy. But it was just a chance for me to tell a story about being an outsider and one that is not explicitly or solely about race, but the subtext is there. And there's no character in the story who's racist. Um, I wanted to try to weaponize my experiences feeling like an outsider, both for reasons of race and because I think we all feel that, and just tell that kind of story. And I'm, I'm really thrilled with how it turned out. That's cool. I was, I, I mean, I know you and I have, have communicated since then, but I, I was very much impressed by your IRS story. So I look forward to being able to read this oh, thank one too. You. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh, I'm hoping I get to do more. I've made uh, no secret of the fact that uh, the next story I'd like to tell is about undisputed era. I have a idea for at least a 40 page one shot. And uh, <laughs> if not more, uh, I'd love to tell about all four of those members. I think there's so much there. They're such fun characters. And so I tweeted about that actually on Monday and got some nice, uh, I'll say this is the most 2019 thing to say, but I was really happy. I got some nice retweets from Adam Cole and uh, Roderick Strong and a uh, response from Fox's WWE account who just said, take my money. So um, <laughs> my are, hope is they that- are throwing uh, quite a uh, bit of it around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, my hope is that there is um, an opportunity in the future, but Boom has some really great plans with WWE. We have a New Day graphic novel coming next year. And I'm beyond thrilled to have had these two opportunities this year. I thought I'd only ever maybe get one. And so I'm just itching to tell more stories with WWE if they'll have me. And, you know, fingers crossed. I'm really looking forward to doing more in that world and seeing what other stories people tell. It's a lot of fun. So if you get a chance, pick up WWE Then Now Forever Volume 4. 
I would say I'd love for you to pick it up at your local comic shop. Uh, comic shops are such a vibrant part of any community, and they could use your support. Or go by your local bookstore and grab a copy. Of course, Amazon online retailers are cool too, but I think local businesses always should be where we try to put our money first, and that would be a great place to buy it. And if, uh, for what it's worth, if you ever see me at a convention, I'm more than happy to sign the comic for you too or the graphic novel for you too. Um, I don't charge because I would never get any money for it, but also I could <laughs> never imagine charging for signatures. I, I tell you this, whatever that signature might mean to you, anybody asking me, for a signature means more to me than words can ever explain. It's the greatest honor that someone cares that much. I don't want to make it sound like we're this huge cultural phenomenon or anything, but I've signed a couple autographs in my time. Yeah. They, these people are on the other side of, of the table or, or the counter or whatever the whatever it is, wherever you meet them, and they're they're saying thank you repeatedly. And it's like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think I may have told you a story. It was like 2000 and whew, I'm trying to think when, maybe 2010, 2011. I was at Fan Expo in Toronto and I was finishing hosting a Marvel panel. I was moderating it mm-hmm. and I get down and I was the first like, wait, are you are you Rune Singh? Uh, you're from Marvel. And I'm like, yeah, I was just hosting. It. He goes, OK, cool. So he goes, oh, my God, you're the guy from What's on Joe Mind. And I'm like, wait, 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 what? What just happened here? And I was like, yeah. And he was a G.I. Joe fan. And like, this is how we got to know each other. And like, I think that's just awesome. Like, I love that. I think that there's something really, like I said before, special about the G.I. Joe community. And it's still, uh, I have got more gifts and more like enthusiastic responses from people who are part of the G.I. Joe community than from any other fandom other than Marvel, of course probably on par with Marvel because I think, you know, what's in Joe mind being such a fixture in the GI Joe community for like the last decade. I think you have such a passionate fan base and they have always sought me out to just like say, thank you. And I'm always like, thank you for listening to me. Cause I'm sure I would have turned the podcast off halfway. So thank you. <laughs> our, our fans are good folks. And just when we think we've met everybody, a uh, few yeah. more of them show up and, and folks who've been around a while that we didn't know were listening to us in the first place. Yeah, uh, it's a funny thing, and and uh, we're of course very appreciative of, of all of them. It's you just like I, I didn't know how to respond to it. It's just because in my mind I'm just some dude sitting in his apartment talking in some low cost podcasting equipment. It's not that yep. you know, and uh, like I don't think that what I have to say is all that particularly special. It's just. We get together and we entertain ourselves by by talking about this thing that we're we're passionate about. So, anytime you meet somebody that it means that much to you're, you're just mm-hmm. kind of you're kind of dumbfounded. You're kind of speechless by it. Yeah, it's, it's it's that's the thing. I know it's funny. We think a lot about it in life. Like um, I may have mentioned this to you or the podcast before. Like we we often think about what we want to do in life in a very binary way, and uh, I think as we're all realizing life is very rarely binary. And very little about ourselves is binary. And so I, you know, used to always, and I, for most of my life, you know, this, I was an EMT for a minute. I wanted to be a firefighter or a cop or the military and I wanted to help people. Right. And so I saw very straight lines to how I could do that. And I think as I've become older, I've realized the ways I can help people aren't just about those jobs that are directly you know, like responding to fires, but like you can help people by being a good boss. You can help people by being a good coworker, by being a good husband, by being a good wife, partner, whatever. 
there are a lot of ways to make the world better that may not be as typically heroic or theatrically heroic as some a job like a cop, right? But you can make all the difference. And if you think about it, those same cops and firefighters, they live life like everybody else. So they, when they go to us, if you work in retail and they go visit you there and you're, you're, you're cool, that makes their lives better. You're a hero for them in a small way because if you were a jerk, it would negatively affect their lives. When it comes to making entertainment like this podcast, you know, everybody needs to veg out, you know, even these heroes need to veg out. And so by doing a cool job with doing this on a regular basis like you do for that 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, what you do is you give those same people an escape. Like you make a difference in the world. You help people. And I've realized as I get older, like there's a lot of ways to do that, that maybe not you're not running into a fire, but you're contributing all the same to that greater good. Yes, and unfortunately, some I think sometimes we're causing people to start fires, but that's just yeah. you know we've, we've we've got we've learned to to live with that too. Somehow the yeah. the guilt hasn't caught us yet. <laughs> but Arun, are we missing anything else from your New York Comic Con experience? No, it was it was, look New York Comic Con was a great show. The energy was awesome there. Thank you to if uh, anybody who listens to the podcast came by to say hi. Thank you. Uh, I had a great time seeing folks there. It was a really fun show. I got to meet Jinder Mahal. He was signing at the booth. He told me he liked the story, which was a very nice thing of him to say. And so that was really cool. We had the original Red Power Ranger in St. John, the second Yellow Ranger Karen Ashley, and the second uh, Red Ranger Steve Cardenas signing at our booth all weekend, and it was kind of surreal to like be chatting with them as peers and like huh. be like, Hey, I know you now. Like, that's kind of cool. I um, mean, you know, meeting Arl Stein never gets old. So many awesome folks there. It was just, it was a great time. I think I would argue for anybody coming to New York comic con. It is the hardest convention to navigate that convention center just can't handle the amount of people, which is why the renovations are going on, but it's bad in, in order to moving through lines. It's really bad. And I would say New York Comic Con is an awesome show. I encourage everyone to go, but just be prepared. It's going to be busy and you got to really strategically plan out the panels you want to go to and where you want to go buy stuff because there'll be some long lines. Yeah, it's not a time to be a tourist. You got to have a plan. No, definitely not. Got to be ready in the Big Apple. Yeah, it's it's very New York in that way. Yeah, versus San Diego, which is its own craziness, but I think. is better suited for those crowds and and has expanded in different ways. This show is uh, the show's pretty unforgiving. I, I the amount of cardio I did and, and like you could never walk somewhere in a straight line. It was like a game of Frogger. Like you were just moving like laterally a day, <laughs> laterally all the time, just to try to get around people. It was craziness, but I, I had a great time. And so you know, like I said before, this is my life. I can't complain. I'm excited for this new story to come out at the end of the month uh, for people to see what they think of the of, of my story with, about gender. Shout out to Kendall Good, who's the artist, uh, Jim Campbell, who did the lettering. They made it look awesome. And it wouldn't have been the same without the two of them involved. And shout out to my editor, Chris Rosa, who again gave me the opportunity. I'm really looking forward as a G.I. Joe fan to next year's New York Comic Con because uh, I imagine there's going to be a ton of G.I. Joe stuff there. I'm sure from Hasbro's official presence, I can't imagine they won't be there in some big way with that kind of movie out. But I also think there's just going to be more G.I. Joe product, more G.I. Joe cosplay, all that stuff that's going to make us so happy. Uh, I know at WonderCon this year here in Anaheim, there was a whole bunch of G.I. Joe cosplayers and I took pictures with them. Who's is it like the Street Viper who's like a mostly orange uniform with black boots? 
What am I thinking of? Which Viper is that? That is the Alley Viper. Alley Viper. I did, yeah. Alley Viper. There's an Alley And I got so excited to see someone dressed in an Alley Viper because that was my first Cobra action figure ever because my parents got it at a Canadian store called Byway, which is like, you know, super low cost. And it was like <laughs> one of the figures on clearance. But, you know, because everyone had enough Alley Vipers or so they thought. But in my head, I created this whole canon for who Alley Viper is. That was a lot of fun as a kid. So... Uh, that was a lot of fun for the kid inside of me to see these people dressed up and like the G.I. Joe fandom lives on, man. You know, what I love is whenever you see another G.I. Joe fan at these shows, like if someone sees my Kage tattoo or if I'm wearing a G.I. Joe shirt or something, or you see them wearing, you give them a nod. You kind of just know you're like, we know we're in the same club. We know we get it. And we both have the same hope that and, and then faith that one day everyone else is going to get it. And we're going to be able to share that with everyone. I'm so shocked. Like, you, everybody sells Marvel stuff these days. Everyone wears Marvel stuff. That's awesome. I think in a year, a year from now, we're going to have a lot more people who are all about G.I. Joe, and I really can't wait to see that. I am knocking on every conceivable substance that is within an arm's reach. Not just the wood stuff. <laughs> yeah, hey, look, all. it's going to be you, me, all your hosts, all the fans here. We're going to be at the heart of it, and all we got to do is, again, not be our own worst enemies. Let's enjoy the movie for what it is. Let's embrace a big appeal and the biggest swing from uh, Hasbro. And I'm not saying we forgive things we don't like or not, not we can't, I mean, we can't be critical, but let's just go for the ride. This new G.I. Joe comic is not anything like I've ever read before, but you know what? I've got a lot of what I've read before. I'm all for something new. And I think if we're open-minded about what, what G.I. Joe can be, then we'll all get we'll get more of every kind of GI Joe, like I said with Transformers. So just embrace GI Joe, man. There's it doesn't cost that much. There's just not enough product right now. Let's get to the time where we can't afford it all, because that would be awesome. I still think about when Retaliation and was coming out, or even before that with Rise of Cobra, like you, me, and the gang, like talk about what are we gonna buy, how much is it gonna cost, you know, how many waves are we gonna have? I, I want, I want even bigger conversations coming out. I want us to be chasing down all the exclusives online. I want us to be doing all that stuff because I want everyone to realize, be reminded that GI Joe. When you put out GI Joe product, all of us fans will buy it. There's a ton of us, and frankly. I want the product and the new G.I. Joe stories that create a whole new generation of fans. And if their favorite character isn't Snake Eyes or Scarlet or Duke, that's fine. As long as their money is going towards G.I. Joe as a brand, we'll get more of the Snake Eyes and Scarlet and Duke stuff. It just may take a little bit more time. That's right. Relax and enjoy the ride. The wait is almost over. Exactly. Well, thanks again, Mike, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, Thanks for all the G.I. Joe fans for listening. I'm on Twitter, like I said, at A-R-U-N-E, or as Rune, and on Instagram at A-R-U-N-E-S-I-N-G-H. I'm also on Facebook, but they always say, if I don't know you, we're not going to be Facebook buddies. So just hit me up on Twitter or Instagram. Always happy to talk Joe and talk soon to talk a lot of Gundam and wrestling and hockey and whatever else you want to chat about. Absolutely. Advice on hamster-grade Gundams is accepted. <laughs> always. And just keep saying hamster-grade because I'm always going to say it now. It's just my thing. <laughs> Arun Singh, Vice President of Marketing for Boom Studios. It is a pleasure. We will have to get you back on later in the year when hopefully we gather everybody up for the holidays and and you can actually meet some folks who are on the show these days. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, again, thanks again. All, uh, you know, happy Canadian Thanksgiving to you. It's coming up Monday. And uh, I'll I'll tell Joe Colton that you you pass that along. Thanks, man. I appreciate (laughs) it. Everybody have a good one. I'll talk to you later. You have a great night, Arun. Thanks so much, everybody. It's been special edition yeah. 64, 65, 
65. I forget. 65? Sure. 65. Have a great evening.